Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Alexander Sims on, who is a Formula E race driver. Hi, Alexander. Hi there, Daniel. Hi. How are we today? All good, thank you. All good. Um, good. Yeah, all crazy in my house. We've got three kids. Oh, bloody. So it's just uh, <laughs> these things are always flat out. So it's nice to get a bit of a break. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, Formula E, how did you get into this world? Um, well, pretty much it was through, um, BMW, my previous, um, employer as such, giving me the opportunity, asking me to, to get involved in formulary, um, as they wanted me, me to do that. Um, and so, yeah, it was very much their offer to me and formulary is pretty much one of, I'd say that one of the top three motorsport series in the world. So, um, I was, I was absolutely only going to jump at the opportunity um, of, of driving in, in in the championship. It's really good from a career point of view, and very competitive, pretty rewarding, um, and a really interesting space to work in with with everything being electric, um, which Definitely. is a side that I'm very interested in. So yeah, it's it pretty cool. And so, have you always wanted to be a race car driver, or this world of uh, you know motorsport? Is is that something you've always been into? has for a long time yes um i wouldn't necessarily say that i wanted to be a racing driver as such from an early age but as soon as i started go-karting when i was about 10 years old um i I really enjoyed it and so it was a i guess a very serious hobby um for for some years and as the years go by you know that it gets more serious and then you do start to think of it as, as whether it can become a career um and then yeah having done it for maybe six or eight years by the time i was in my late teens um trying to make it into a into a job was was pretty um much my aim and how how did that journey go how did you sort of begin to get into the uh world of of, uh, being a race racing driver um well i mean it started as i said very much back in karting um just doing it as a hobby to start with and just gaining experience and uh, you don't realize it at the time but you you start to learn techniques and racecraft and all these things that come later in in your career as a real bonus as a real uh, I guess a strong point um, that you need to have ingrained in you but you do it when you're young obviously just because it's fun and you're just uh, having having a laugh but um inevitably you do go through that process you know you always want to try and be better as a sportsman it's um uh, i guess the trait that many people have you know to try and improve continuously and uh yeah over the years it's um it's been a process that you don't as i said you don't really even notice it sometimes but when you actually look back over many years you realize the improvements that you've made um and it's i mean the the go-karting started off being being just as i say a hobby but got to sort of national international level go-karting but to be honest it wasn't a career you know that it Mm. sounds impressive by saying you're doing like world championships and things but this was very very much still us funding it as, Mm. as ultimately a hobby um then moving into car racing i was able to 
uh, again, do a few seasons of single seaters, um, which is like Formula Renault and Formula Three, sort of from the ranks going up, and was able to get some backing, um, able to honestly transfer the funding of it over to to an investor um, because it started to get extortionate. You know the numbers I bet, yeah. involved. Um, and then got a lucky break with BMW. Really, um, what, so like, is that how how it works? As a as a if somebody wants to be a racing driver, um, they progress through these ranks and then they go and get a sponsor and hopefully they they take on the costs. Is that the normal route? Um, I mean, yeah, it, it sounds quite simplistic when you put it like that. Um, yeah, in reality, it's it's not as simple as that. Um, a lot of people will be self-funding their careers, obviously not themselves when they're young, it's through their family. Um, and, and to be honest, yeah, continue to fund it themselves through to um, really like if, if you were to, to take Formula One as an example, hmm. it would likely be the step before Formula One, which is Formula Two, they would still be self-funding it. Oh my god! What kind um, of money so, is involved in in self funding a, a Formula Two? I'm I, I don't know exact numbers, but yeah. you're probably talking at like one point five million a year. Wow! So it, it it's a rich man's game, honestly. Um, and it's one thing that I guess we might touch on later. But I, I struggle with the sport in that sense because it's just not accessible to everyone. You know? Um, yeah it's it's got so many good things about the sport but to be a racing driver um as with many industries you need to have experience and you can't get that experience if you haven't got money to go even go-karting you know you're talking tens of thousands of pounds a year that people are spending for um not not as accessible as you know i'm sure going to be a professional footballer is more complicated than just buying some boots and a football but Mm. You know, you can buy boots and a football and start practicing and put set up a goal, and you know you can start going through the processes of, of learning skills and things. But in motorsports, and, and so I'd say it's it's probably the same in motorbikes as well as cars. You need to buy the car or go kart, and you need to buy tires. You need to tune the engines. You know, there's all sorts of different fees that are just constantly needing to be spent to continue just doing the sport. You know. Yeah. And so, so the the, the process of um, working your way up through the categories of, of, of races and, and, and styles of races and then getting a sponsor, is that a really difficult thing to do? And are there certain things you have to do to get a sponsor? I, th- I think, um, I mean, again, so some people are able to, to make it work and do get really good sponsorship. And are able to sell, uh, are able to to um, pay for either a decent chunk or, or all of their junior career um, through sponsorship or, I guess, investments. Um, you have some young driver programs that some of the manufacturers will fund to try and access the best talent so that they can have those drivers driving for them. Obviously, if they get to Formula One, but um, in terms of the total numbers, those are fairly few and far between. Um, I would say that it's it's really not easy to to find sponsorship. Um, 
purely down to the the fact that you know Formula One is the one single seater motorsport category anyway that people have historically watched. Formula mm-hmm. E, I would say, is a growing space, um, but has other relevance as well in terms of it being electric. Um, but the junior Formula E just don't get coverage. You know, there's there's only a certain amount of motorsport that public can <laughs> ingest yeah, uh, on, on a weekend. You know, and yeah. so uh getting coverage to be able to justify hundreds of thousands of pounds of sponsorship per year is is quite difficult um and so that's that's again why why it falls back on on wealthy families and um people's situations where they they Mm. do have access to wealth to to be able to get that experience so the the uh car manufacturers sort of young driver programs um is that very difficult to get into do they go around scouting people how does it work yeah that they, they, they would um ordinarily have contacts in in the junior formally um i'm sure the team bosses in, in formula one have their um pe- people directly underneath them to keep an eye on things and, and I'm sure they would watch some racing themselves as well occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, you pro- would probably get a, a small handful of drivers even each year is a bit, um, a bit much, but yeah, it probably got two, two or three drivers. Um, I mean, around the world, I'm talking mm-hmm. not in the UK around the world that, that, that would get, get picked up each year to, and then, drafted into a young driver program as such which is obviously a dream ticket for for those people that do get them mm. um, but equally you know the, the person who wins the, the formula three championship for for instance might get on that program and they've got the the lucky next few years to to have a, um, a manufacturer pay for their racing and, and develop them and give them access to all the useful data and information to improve their driving and fitness and everything but the person who finishes second who doesn't get there yeah you know they might not even be worse they might have been in a slightly worse team yeah our setup might not have allowed them to drive as fast but they get nothing um so they have to try again the next year wow um, and then next year so yeah it's a, it's a funny sport in that sense it is so you mentioned your your first role was bmw was it um in the sport yeah my first role was with BMW yes um I was with McLaren uh, for a couple of seasons before then but it was sort of a um an unpaid role equally I wasn't having to bring any money to go racing which was the first step that I needed to make I guess to to being professional but yeah. um uh, I was able to get lots of experience in a GT car in a McLaren which was very useful but um mm. then I got the opportunity with BMW to to yeah get paid to go racing Wow, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Um, and then yeah, the journey with them to just this summer when when I um, switched teams from BMW to to a new team for me in Mahindra in Formula mm-hmm. E, a, mm-hmm. an Indian car firm. Um, it's been quite a roller coaster, quite a, an amazing journey that I wouldn't have predicted five years ago. Wow, and so as a as a Formula E and a, a racing driver in general, what what's an average day like? Are you are you training? Is there physical training and then learning uh, tracks, or how how does it work? Um, it's it's a bit of a funny job in that, in that there's not too many average days. I would say mm. um, 
when we're at the racetrack, uh, that's a fairly standard day I set, I, I, I guess, but it's not like we're there all the time at all. As I've mentioned probably too much already, <laughs> motorsport is expensive, so <laughs> we can't be at the track all the time at all. Um, we're at the track on the race weekends and then a select number of days through the year. Like in Formula E, we have, I think, 13 days total for the team. And there's oh, wow. two drivers, so you're likely to get around six or seven test days outside of the race weekends. Wow, that's not a lot, is it? It's it's really not a lot, again, when you compare to other sports, you know, yeah. footballers, tennis players, rugby players, whatever, you know, they're training day in, day out, constantly doing the thing that they've got to do at the weekend when they're mm. under the spotlight. Yeah. Whereas uh, we have, yeah, you have your two 45-minute practice sessions on a race weekend, um to tune in and then you've got time qualifying and you've got to perform so wow that is that's incredibly that's a big ask isn't it it's a really big ask yeah um yes it is Uh, i guess (laughs) it it comes back to then the importance of having that experience over many many years yeah um and why you need to start so young do you do you get to use maybe simulators or or things like that to train on we do we do um and that they're not actually as um i would say as important as one might think in terms of the actual practicing of driving and, and mm-hmm. driving fast the, we use simulators a lot in formulary because there's a lot of information that the driver and the team need to speak about during the race in terms of your energy consumption how efficient you're being, um, the the way the race is panning out with how other people are using their energy and things. Um, and so we're talking about that and the simulator is really helpful for, for practicing your communication um, and practicing the procedures. But um, because I suppose... you don't have the G-forces mm. in a simulator in a sort of computer game environment, it's really difficult to replicate the feeling that you get on track yeah that's uh i was talking about this actually with my uh with my girlfriend's family the weekend we were talking about electric cars and how people are now starting to think about actually my next car might be electric um and then we got on to the the sort of topic of their acceleration because an electric car's acceleration is is instant isn't it there's no delay it's like turning a power switch on essentially um and exactly that it's it's mad how fast these cars accelerate so do you is there different g-forces you you're going to have to get used to or or just a quicker acceleration um i mean it's just more instant yeah i mean the amount of power that the car has is quite comparable to other racing cars that i drive right so once you're accelerating the feeling is similar but the difference is is you press the throttle quickly you get the power instantly. Yeah. You're not having to bring the RPM up and then balance the clutch and release the clutch. And, you know, you even compared to um, a, in, in a racing environment on a racing start in a combustion engine car, you're obviously trying to launch as fast as possible. But still, mm. compared to an electric car, it's quite a lazy process. Um, <laughs> Obviously, we're talking about small, small margins of difference in a racing yeah. scenario. But on the road, it's uh, it's something that the average driver can access that instant acceleration really easily in an electric car, whereas you can't really do a racing start very easily in a you know Ford Mondeo. 
No. <laughs> um, does it, is it something that really excites you to be involved with uh, Formula E as early as you have been involved with it? Because I guess it is the future of racing, really, isn't it? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely exciting to be a part of. I, in my personal life, I've been very interested in, in sustainability and renewable energy for, for many years. Um, I bought an electric car back in 2012 and have driven electric cars ever since. So wow, that's I've early. Really, yeah, I, I, get, I was one of the earlier ones. Um, and so I've been I've been sold on the whole idea of um, electric vehicles and, and the benefits that they can bring for some time. Um, and so to now merge that with my racing um, career is is a really nice synchronization um, of of my two interests. But um, in terms of Formula E being the future of racing, I think it's, it's part of the future. Um, mm-hmm. I think electric racing, it, depending on the style of racing, can be very good or does have its drawbacks. You know, For endurance racing, for example, like say mm-hmm. the Le Mans 24 hours, at the moment, there's just not the... Um, capabilities of a battery to be able to drive in a comparable way to a combustion engine does at yeah. the moment you know for like an hour at a time flat out and then recharge in 30 seconds fully to do another hour yeah um fuel petrol has so much energy in it you know it's crazy you know you have seen petrol when it ignites you know it explodes yeah. a battery will burn okay, it has some energy, but it will burn slowly. Um, and so to replace that fuel tank in terms of the amount of energy with a battery is a big, big challenge. But we don't have those challenges with normal day-to-day cars, thankfully, because um, yeah, with a normal-sized battery already in an electric car, you can get sort of 250, 300 miles of range, which I think is pretty sufficient for most people. But the I, racing I, environment has massive challenges, I think. Yeah. So. I guess that's something you don't really think about as well because cars were designed for the weight of an engine at the front or the back or wherever it be, but battery packs are now just flat across the bottom of cars, aren't there? Many designs. So I guess there's going to be a learning curve in manufacturing and really fine-tuning electric cars to be as fine-tuned as their petrol, um, you know, the petrol alternatives. Yes, yeah, I mean, already from... 10 years ago to now we've we've made big improvements as, as an industry i would say in terms of how electric vehicles are packaged and and built and designed and yes i'm, I'm sure that process will only continue um yeah i mean the, the electric cars less than 20 years old the combustion engine cars like 120 years old isn't it? yeah yeah so, um yeah i'm sure there will still be improvements to be made and so what is uh what's your job like are you traveling a lot are you away from home a lot you know what's the actual uh the job like on a yearly basis um in a normal year I mean, yeah 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 aside um yes there's there's a lot of traveling um i would normally i would say on average i would do 20 race weekends a year um and almost all of those would be abroad um plus there's testing in between times um simulator days um and so yeah 
I, I travel a lot. Um, yeah. And, and so mo- the vast majority of those are on flights. So um, it's a bit difficult the amount of time away from family um, mm. now that I've got kids particularly, but uh, the very lucky fortunate thing rather about I'd say being a racing driver is that outside of race weekends, the work that I need to do, I can largely do it at home. Um, and so I don't need to go into the office on a Monday morning, having just got back from a race weekend on Sunday night. Um, I can, I can spend a few days at home and, and catch up on things whilst being around in the evenings easily. And what would you say are some personality traits that really um, help drivers thrive in the industry? Um, it's an interesting one because there, there are a lot of different personalities um, that I've come across in terms of racing drivers. Um, I, I think there's the sort of the, the cliche of the racing driver wearing his sunglasses and, you know, having quite a big ego and sort of, you know, very, very self-confident, but it's not, <laughs> It's not always the way at all. Um, not everyone's a sort of James Hunt yeah. wannabe. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I think it's got to be similar traits to any any successful person in, in business or sport. You know, a lot of determination is needed. Uh, self-reflection and self-improvement through the years to look inwards on what you can do to improve your driving skills. Um, and yeah, perseverance as well is a big one because the opportunities are few and far between. And I think there's many drivers out there who are even now in Formula One who would admit that at one point or another they considered quitting because they couldn't find an opportunity. You know, you just have to keep persevering and uh, pushing the, the contacts that you can get hold of to give you a chance. And, you know, sometimes it'll take quite a few years which um i guess in a normal office job as such is is maybe not such a concern but with the fairly time limited career that you've got in in motor racing likely end of career is probably 35 or 40 um you know if you're sat there at 20 and you don't have an option persevering for another three or four years you know it feels like quite a lot of your career potential is being lost you know but um you've got to you've got to keep going if you want it um so some of the biggest positives you've had out of the industry so far um i I think the the emotions involved in the sport um are fantastic the the swing of emotions that you go through um you know i've had plenty of times where I've felt terrible after losses and mistakes and crashing cars and things. But having had those to then get a good result to win a 24 hour race or, you know, get pole position in qualifying or something makes it so sweet. Um, (laughs) So the, the roller coaster of emotions that you go through is probably the first thing that, I really enjoy about the industry um, because it's a sport, you know, I guess you get that in, in every sport. Um, but I'd, I'd say a big part of it is just the, the team environment as well that you work in. Um, obviously when you're out on track, you're on your own in the car, but um, there's a whole 
whole group of people behind you working in the pits, back at the factory, developing the cars, working on the software, working out your strategy, understanding the tire temperatures and how they work best. And, you know, there's just a whole raft of engineers analyzing, working away, giving you information to, you to help you do feel the pressure of of all those those people have worked you know worked on this car for you and like you say so many people involved in a, in a team do you ever feel that pressure when you're out there when i'm out on track i don't to be honest no um then just driving the car around and driving it to its maximum is, is taking up all of my brain power mm. um the time that hits home is after i make a mistake and I crash the car or I cause the result to be worse than it needed to be. Mm. You then have that sense of letting these people down. Um, but to be honest, that, that feeling has got easier over the years. I've um, learned to, I guess, learned to accept my mistakes better because I realize as I go through life that everyone makes mistakes, you know, um, yeah. we all try our best but sometimes the best you don't make the right decision in the heat of the moment or whatever. And the person who's maybe developing the traction control or deciding what tire temperatures to put in the car, if they make a mistake, then the traction control just doesn't work quite perfectly. And Mm -hmm. then when I come back in and say, this needs to be improved or the tire pressures get a bit too hot and you go slightly slower. But if I make a mistake, it results in me crashing into the barrier and the race is over. So it looks far more dramatic. Um, but we all make mistakes and that's okay. just the reality of when I make a mistake in the wrong way, then it looks really bad. But that's <laughs> not my fault necessarily. That's just yeah. part of the job that I do, you know? Yeah. And on the other side of that, what's some of the less favorable parts of the industry? I would say that the biggest one for me is probably what I touched on at the start in terms of the, the amount of money that it, it costs to, to, to get into the sport. Um, I have been very fortunate in my situation to have relatively wealthy parents um, who were able to, to fund my racing, but uh yeah, I, I experienced too many people along the way who couldn't mm. continue to pay for it and were just as good, if not better than me at times. And so to see those people not be able to fulfill their dreams purely down to the the amount of money in their parents' bank account, it's um, that's pretty you know, sad, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quite, quite sad. But uh, equally, you put things into perspective, there are other problems in life that, are worse but um just in in a racing sense yeah the the amount of money honestly is is probably the most negative thing because once once you're involved in the industry and able to be working in it professionally there are not many downsides to it you know (laughs) industry to be involved in yeah yeah uh, access to it is probably difficult 
And we like to talk about what people can expect to earn average salaries. So we usually go away and we, we find stats on, uh, on the industry earnings. Um, and I have to say it was really difficult for racing drivers because it, it varied so much. And like you say, you know, for a lot of the time, you're the one actually investing in the industry. You're paying money to go, go karting or whatever it be until you get to a point where you get a contract. Um, yes. so <laughs> you know essentially we couldn't really put a, uh, our finger on an average average number um yeah. but i guess it's fair to say that once you're in there and once you're actually in a secure position your earning potential is still very varied but it's it, it's a decent income yes i mean it, it, it's it's you you hit it bang on the head there, the, the the average income varies so much um I mean, I started off in GT racing and my first contract, if I remember rightly, was 35,000 euros, mm-hmm. um, which at the time I was happy with. It was the first money that I'd made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in GT racing in sort of endurance racing at Le Mans and things, honestly, uh, the average salary is probably around, I'd say 150, 200,000 euros, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, but, so pretty reasonable and then in formula e formula one you know it's it varies up to so you've got the, the top guys in formula one earning tens of millions but I, I would say yeah like formula e is is probably around five six hundred thousand mm. um and formula one is probably closer to one one to two million something like that wow I guess you also have to we have to remind people and balance this against the investment that you've made up front. These, you know, obviously the well, earnings yeah. are great, but you, you know, you're essentially it's like paying to go to university. I guess you might pay two hundred thousand pounds or whatever it is to go to university. Um, so it kind of offsets it, I guess, is is the the end of it. I mean, yeah, you don't go into motorsport to be a racing driver to to make money yeah exactly. <laughs> honestly yeah um the vast majority of people will lose a lot of money and the amounts that even i am earning now are what some people will be spending in a year um wow. in in the like formula three and things so if you've done many years of single seaters you'll probably be like you, you could quite possibly be five million six million pounds down Wow. in the red and so <laughs> um <laughs> suddenly the earning yeah total doesn't look that great you doesn't know sounds um, good yeah <laughs> the prospects of making it to be a lewis hamilton yeah and not very high and you've got i don't know what 20 people on each formula formula three formula two grid each year spending big big money um and so yeah it's it's very fortunate for those who do make it but it's, yeah it's a, very um bad financial game if you want to do it for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> um so is there something that's you would say would not be in the job description but you have to deal with as a, a racing driver um i would say that there's not a huge amount that that springs to mind i mean as i say really just determination and perseverance are the 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 traits that i would say but in terms of a a specific role that you're doing 
Um, I don't. I don't know what people's perceptions are. I guess. I guess maybe engineering knowledge is, yeah. is quite helpful. Um, yeah. But you don't need to be an engineer. You just need. To, it's, it's helpful to be able to talk to the engineers, understanding what they're saying. Yeah. Um, maybe publicity. Having to, you know, if you're on big teams, you might have to do some publicity stuff. Yeah, there's there's quite a quite a necessity to to be comfortable in front of a camera mm. um, and to be able to, I guess, switch on a bit of a more exaggerated side to yourself. Um, and I certainly find it strange in, in Formula E, we, we uh, do filming at the start of each season for like GIFs so that when you ha- have <laughs> crashes or you get on pole position, they can put a little GIF in the bottom corner of the screen, like an animated picture. Yeah. And they film that in this cold awning with a green screen behind you and suddenly you've got to like, <laughs> boom, you've won a race. Imagine that. I'm oh like, my well, God. I haven't won a race. And I yeah. feel really awkward. It's like those um, awful so things, probably... the awful things they do with the, um, like they get the footballers and the rugby players to, to do actions in front of green screens to part but while they're playing. And it, you exactly. can, it's exactly. just so awkward, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, being able to switch off your brain and just do what's asked of you sometimes is, is probably quite helpful. Yeah. Um, but that again, takes a bit of time to get good at. Certainly wasn't very comfortable to start with. and would you still go into the industry knowing everything you know now oh um yes because um it's it's so good to be having succeeded i guess at being able to make it to make it to a professional Mm. it's it's fantastic but the journey along the way was just as good. Mm. Um, and if for whatever reason, um, whether I decided to stop or finances dictated, we had to stop when I was say 18 years old and we just did go-karting, um, then I would have still loved it. you know. And so I think uh, knowing that I would have gone into it even if I knew it was only going to be for a couple of years or something. I would still give it a go and enjoy it. Yes. Well, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Alexander. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. And uh, just before you go, could you let everybody know where they can find you on social media? Uh, yeah, on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm just at Alexander Sims uh, with one M and Sims. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Alexander. Super. Thanks very much. Yes. Bye. Bye bye.